Hello everybody. Hope everybody is well. Uh, I need to mute. One second. Can you hear me? I suppose you can hear me now. Hey everybody, uh, great to be back on the Ask Community Show. I am reporting live from the venue of the uh, G20 Summit here in New Delhi. And it's uh, it's great to be back on the Ask Community Show. It's been such a long time. I've been traveling, I've been busy doing things. So here I am. Uh, so let's see who all is there on the, on the live stream. I can see Shivansh, Ashutosh, Vinay Kumar Sahu, Daily Dose of Gaming, Rakshit Mishra, Shadow, Pratyush, Yashika Batra, Pranay, Gautam, Paida, Surya Khan, Abash, JJ, Varun, Dutt, Kapil Singh, Pavan, Chabukswar, Kanishka, Saptish, Chauhan, Priyanshu, Tiwari, Sarthak, RP, Angredi, Shashank, Sarvesh Desai, Dr. Jaishankar, Soham, Umbare, XP Gamer, Dhruv Nathwani, Karan Alabat, Ardesh Sharma, Anjan Mukherjee, Maverick, Krishna, Mathia Perez, Nightshed Gaming, an excited science user, Akhand Mapping, <laughs> Sabana, Amogha, Devanshu, Bharat, Anandish, Raju, Nikhil, Avyai, Rohit Uza, Jayant Kumar, Basic Maths by Sush, Rithyunjai, Viraj Rajput, Akshay Shinde, Vladimir Zelensky, <laughs> Indrajit Singh, Rajesh, Raja Sekharan, Ajiva, Sahib, Haha, Garbit Singh Chauhan, Gorak Sarap, Manas Roy, Shreyansh, Shreyansh, Science Nerd, Dungar Singh Chauhan, hello, Akhilesh, Mani Mani, Harsh Lavari, Ombe Kedikar, I can see some uh, names that I've seen before. Many times, good to see you all. Devya Kawasaki, Manu Eviral Bhatnagar, Prince Purohit, and so many other people. So it's, it's great to see you all. It's been such a long time. I'm so glad to be back on the Ask Abhiji show. And we're going to do a whole, whole live stream from, what's it called? The International Media Center um, at the Pragati Maidan Complex, Bharat Mandapam Complex, New Delhi. This is where the show is happening. And in case you are interested in seeing what this place looks like, I have a few angles that I could offer to you. I would <laughs> let's see what angles I can offer. Uh, take a look at this. I have multiple angles today. It's been a long day, and I'm just having some fun. So let's see if I can. Let's see how how good the Wi-Fi holds. The laptop that I have has a good internet connection. Let me see if I can take you all around and show you what this place looks like. Uh, let me, one second, maybe I can bring this over here. Okay, let's see. Let's see if I can show you the place. All right. So this is what the place looks like. Here we are. I hope the image isn't frozen or anything. This is the place. It's a, it's a huge, huge place. And there are still people over here working, as you can see. So this is the thing. It's it's a huge complex, and the entire international media is over here. There are lots of places where people can, where media people can sit and work. Excellent internet connections. Uh, reasonably good Wi-Fi as well. And as you can see, it's enormous. So just a quick uh, look at the place. And now let me get back to the laptop. And we shall 
continue from there. I will take your questions for the next minimum one hour, maybe a couple of hours. And let's see how this goes. So let's get back to uh, my station. Okay. Uh, okay, this should do it. All right, now let's take some questions. Uh, all right. <laughs> Mike doubling. Okay, let me just uh, turn off the thing from my phone. So that way it'll be fine. Okay. All right. So what, okay, did the Prime Minister, <laughs> did Mr. Modi invite me? No, Mr. Modi did not invite me. I was invited uh, very kindly, very graciously by the government of India to come and cover this uh, extremely important summit, the G20 summit. This is India's G20. This is India's presidency of the G20, and India has done a fantastic job of uh, organizing the whole thing, uh, the entire event. Not just this summit, but overall, the entire, um, all the activities that happened over the past year, in more than 60 cities in the country, uh, more than 130 events, if I'm not mistaken, and millions of people uh, took part in some, in some form or the other. So yeah, it was it's, it's it's been a brilliant job by the government of India. So many people have participated, and uh, okay, it's, it looks like there are still two mics on. Okay, can we can can you all hear me now properly, or do we still have echoes? I hope we don't have any more echoes. Sometimes this is what I, what happens when you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Is it all good now? Uh, I'll just check the live, live chat and see. All right, everyone see it's clear now. Out, outstanding. Good. So, um, yeah. So I was invited by the government of India. I'm very thankful, very grateful to the government for getting me here. Um, wonderful place. And uh, that's why I'm doing this from here today, to give you a glimpse of how... Uh, things that are over here. So I've been invited as a, as a as a media person. I'm not really a journalist. I'm I'm a geopolitical observer and analyst. But yeah, I mean it makes sense for someone like me also to be here. Apart from, uh, shall we call what shall we say, the legacy media. Some of which you may see see behind me, if you recognize faces. Anyhow, uh, yeah, that's what. <laughs> Let's see some other questions. Uh, Miguel Diaz says, "What what happened to Monsieur Mister?" To Herr Olaf Scholz's eyes, eye. I, I think he wears one eye patch, an eye patch or one eye. I think he had some kind of accident while jogging or cycling. I think it was jogging. The bicycle bicycle accident was Mr. Mr. Biden, right? Uh, so I think Mr. Olaf Scholz was jogging and maybe fell down or something. There are some bruises on one side of his face and maybe uh, his eye may have been injured or the area of his eye. So until it heals, he's gonna wear the, the eye patch. Just uh, yeah, why not? Looks cool. It's it's nice meme material. I would say. It's Olaf Schultz. I mean, the, the his his appearance right now. Uh, Prathamesh says your take on the Bharat name change. Well, it's not official. The government hasn't made any statement that uh, we're gonna change the name from India. Okay. Uh, what's happened is that uh, in there have been certain government communications in which the Prime Minister of India has been referred to 
Mr. Modi, the Prime Minister of Bharat, okay, in the official, uh, what do we call it, communication, right? printed communication or, or media communication, the Prime Minister of Bharat. Similarly, uh, uh, Madam President has been referred to in writing as the President of Bharat. And uh, today during the G20 summit, when all the uh, world leaders were there, uh, in front of the Prime Minister, it said Bharat, not India. So it's not really a name change. The Constitution of India refers to India that is Bharat. So we already have two official names, right? We have two official names. And uh, many foreign countries also uh, refer to India and Bharat at the same time. So when I was a kid, when I, I, I spent a few years in Switzerland, and over there I had this... Uh, this poster of all the flags of all the countries in the world and you had the names of, of the nations beneath each flag and for india it said india and into brackets bharat so that was like 30 years ago or, or i don't know 40 years ago 35 whatever right so even at that time they referred to india as india and bharat at the time india's population was about 600 million less than half of what it is today uh, so that's how it was. So I don't think we are officially, the government is officially changing the name to Bharat and uh, rejecting the name India. I think both names are going to uh, be equally valid. There's been no statement, no communication from the government that we are going ahead with a name change. If you do a name change, it's, it's going to be a logical headache at least. You're going to have to change. If, if you remove the name India and insist on only calling it Bharat officially, then you're going to have to change every passport, every Aadhaar card. You're going to have to change all the official documentation, wherever it, of whatever kind it is. You're going to have to change your currency notes and, and, and coins and whatnot. And you're going to have to make some changes at the United Nations level and other, other levels. I think it's, it's, it could be a logistical headache for sure. I mean, it could cost some money. We do have the money to do that, but uh, do we really want to do that? Um, there, the name India does have some brand value. So I think we can use both names. The government can use both names. And it's choosing to use one right now, Bharat. So that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly legitimate. There's nothing unconstitutional or wrong about it. So I get my gut feeling is that India is not going to officially change the name. But in official communications, we're going to use Bharat more or exclusively Bharat. But officially, it will still be known by two names. And there are lots of countries like this. For example, China, the official name in Chinese is Zhongguo. But everyone outside China calls it China. Greece, we call it Greece, but its actual name is Hellas. Japan, the actual name of Japan in Japanese is Nihon. Right? And what about Germany? Deutschland, Alemania, Germania. It has so many names, like, <laughs> like Professor Desiraju says. So uh, many nations are known by more than one name. And especially when it comes to a nation like India that's so ancient, thousands and thousands of years old and, and it's so large and, and so uh, uh, so it's been so influential it's going to have multiple names and various nations are going to refer to us by various names so that's fine so uh, I don't think there's any name change but it's interesting to, to see that uh, certain sections of Indian society uh, and, and the political class and, and the academic class perhaps they have uh, been very upset about any possibility of a of a name change, any potential name change, and they've been uh, coming out very vociferously against it. And that tells you that there's a certain attitude that these people have. Um, it, these are the the old ancien regime, the old elite, 
the ones who benefited from the Nehruvian era, a very small group of people, a small coterie of people who have had all the power and all the privileges, who have been the gatekeepers of information in academia and media and everything. And these are the ones who, you know, who see India as India and not as Bharat. I think everybody else is North, South, East, West. Everybody thinks of a nation as Bharat more than as, as India. And Bharat is a civilizational term. India is is a is a term that's been uh, used by foreigners. And it's it's well the, the roots go back to the Persians and the Greeks. Persia is older than Greece, and the, the Persians, the ancient Persians, were essentially migrants from India who went and settled in what's now Persia, now called Iran. Uh, and or and the language changed. So old Persian, the old Persian language was a derivative of Sanskrit, an upper bunch language of Sanskrit, and the pronunciations were kind of wonky, you know. Uh, so instead of sa, they would say ha, and therefore the great river Sindhu became a she. And eventually the Greeks came over here and they mangled the name of Hindu, became Indus or whatever. The Sindhu became the Indus, and the became the Caucasus, and eventually the so called Western civilization. Uh, it considers Greece. Mesopotamia and Egypt to be its uh, fountainhead, and that's why they have taken all these pronunciations that the Greeks have imposed upon the world and mangled them further. And that's how the term India was uh, used by the British. So the term India is, after if you look at all the history that I just mentioned, it's overall a British term, but it has its roots in the Persians and the Greeks. And so these people who are opposing the name change are the ones who love the English. Way of doing things, and who see themselves as the as the uh, uh, the ones who carry forth the legacy of our British colonialists, and they are the ones who are the most upset. So I have absolutely no no issue with uh, the Prime Minister and the Government of India and the President referring to this great civilization as Bharat instead of India. I think it will be a good thing. I call it Bharat in my live streams and in my videos because I have a I would I have a large international audience. And I want to be intelligible, intelligible to them. But yes, in my heart, it's Bharat. I mean, every every true Indian, every true Bharatiya will consider the nation to be Bharat more than India. So yeah, all that. That's my opinion. But I don't think the name is being officially changed. I would be very surprised if it is. But who knows? Yeah, uh, Prime Minister Modi is is uh, fond of giving surprises. So let's see and good surprises. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Uh, Amit says, "Love your podcast. Thank you so much. So thank you so much." Uh, will the gala dinner be live on TV? I'm not sure. No, I don't think it's live. I mean, if it were live, I would see it on the screen over there, which I just showed you, showed you a while ago. Uh, let's see if I can add this. There's, there's a screen over here. If it is live, it will be there. So, and I should remove that other angle, otherwise it's going to have a double, double echoing sound once again. Okay, let's see what else do we have. Saurav says, does the absence of Vladimir Putin matter? Well, look, uh, when you have an event like the you would like to have all the uh, world leaders to be present, the ones who are part of the G20 nations. Um, unfortunately, Mr. Putin could not attend. And Mr. Putin actually called up Mr. Modi a couple of weeks before today. And he informed him that he will not be able to attend. And Mr. Putin also did not attend the BRICS summit that happened recently in South Africa. And we know what compulsions Mr. Putin is bound by. There is this raging war right now, the Ukraine war. And uh, 
Russia and the West are at loggerheads. And uh, the Western leaders, see, if, if Mr. Putin were to come to India for the summit, it's very possible that the Western leaders like Mr. Biden, Mr. Macron, uh, Mr. Mr. Scholz, and Mr. Sunak, etc., they would have perhaps refused to speak with him, cold-shouldered him. Do you remember how uh, Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman was treated in the, in the 2018-19 G20 summits? He was treated like a pariah, like an outsider. No one spoke with him. Only Prime Minister Modi spoke with him. And the same thing possibly would have happened to Mr. Putin. Only Mr. Modi would have spoken with him and given him a royal welcome. Everybody else would have been caught. Now, who wants to uh, put themselves in that sort of a situation? And there's the added complication of the international warrant that's been put out for Mr. Putin's arrest, which is ridiculous, but whatever. So because of these matters, and, and to save Mr. Modi, the host some embarrassment because of the treatment that would be meted out by the other leaders. That's the reason why Mr. Putin most likely did not attend. And he called up Mr. Modi and explained his decision, his 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 decision not to come to the summit to him. So that was a very uh, nice thing to do. He informed Mr. Modi personally in advance. When it comes to Mr. Xi Jinping, it's in a whole different story. So it would have been nice to have Mr. Putin here. He's one of the major world leaders, very powerful world leader, one of the most powerful people in the world, one of the most influential and consequential leaders in the world. But unfortunately, he could not come because of all these reasons. So um, has the absence mattered? Uh, it kind of would have been good to have him. But overall, he sent his representative, uh, the foreign minister, Mr. Lavrov. And Mr. Lavrov is a very competent uh, foreign minister, very good foreign minister. And uh, uh, the, the event proceeded just uh, as it should otherwise have. So in, in, in the, with, with the uh, fact that he sent Mr. Lavrov here, the absence wasn't, wasn't felt that much. Obviously, the personality wasn't there. Mr. Putin is someone that uh, the media likes to follow and take a look at and also that, that was missing. So that's overall what Mr. Putin. Okay, Palash Swami says, what's your take on the new Middle East Europe corridor? Where's the map? We're going to have a map. So Palash has given me the opportunity to crack out the map and let's do that. So let's understand what this Middle East corridor is. Uh, here we have Google Maps. Ah, is visible now. So what on earth? Why am I... Okay, let's remove that. Let's remove all this. So what's this corridor? Middle India, Middle East, Europe corridor. That's what it is. So it's going to be a, a trade corridor. It's going to involve a rail, a rail link as well as shipping links. So it's going to start, let's say, from India. India has multiple ports on the western coast of India, right? So let's say from any point in India, it's going to have a shipping link to the United Arab Emirates and to Saudi Arabia. So it starts from India. India is one of the points or starting points, whichever way you want to look at it. And we're going to have uh, linkages, shipping linkages with the UAE and Saudi Arabia. Then it goes forth into Europe. And uh, it's going to involve Italy. It's going to involve Germany. It's going to involve France. And it's going to involve the European Union overall. So at some point, you're going to have a rail route. And uh, from India to the Arabian Peninsula, you're going to have shipping routes. And this Middle India, Middle East, Europe trade corridor is also going to have uh, an electrical line. It's going to have a high-speed data link, high-speed high -speed data line, and a hydrogen pipeline as well. 
so it's a multiplicity of things and overall is going to make trade between india and europe faster it's also going to make the cost of transshipments cheaper maybe by 30 40% perhaps and the speed will also increase by 30 40% and overall it's it's going to link india to these nations more closely and the bigger perspective here is that and also it's not just these nations that are involved in this it's also the united states that's going to be involved because as if you have been following the things i've been saying uh, the real power in western europe is neither germany nor france it's the united states so the us is also involved in this and uh, mr biden has given his blessing and the us is going to be involved as well in this so what this does is that is going to and in india also has the international north south transport corridor which involves uh, shipping links with iran and then then you will have uh, road and rail links all the way into into europe via russia and other places so this is kind of something that's happening in parallel with that now this new scheme the india middle east europe corridor if you see it from a bigger larger geopolitical perspective its arrival to china's dying belt and road initiative dri one belt one road one belt to rule them on all one road to bind them that's all thing remember <laughs> uh, so this is a rival to the chinese belt and road initiative bri and their maritime silk road or whatever and that is more or less dead in the water because nobody wants to be part of it and the interesting piece of news italy italy has withdrawn from the bri and italy is going to be part of the india middle east europe corridor big blow for china and madame meloni uh, she she obviously is here right now somewhere here nearby um yeah so that's the deal so it's very important this is a very important uh, new project and uh, yeah so that's the thing right so all the nations are coming together and nobody wants to deal with china nobody likes china i mean the this expansionist imperialist hegemonic power i know there are going to be comments over here who are going to say that i am very anti anti china hey listen we didn't start anything with china it's the chinese who have always been the aggressors not just with india but with all their neighbors so i think the world has has seen through what china has been doing and what china is up to and what china really wishes and wants and desires and dreams right uh and yeah so so we're going to see more and more of these initiatives that are going to bypass the belt and road initiative and see in the case of the bri it's all run by china the chinese make it a point to say that this is our infrastructure project other nations are involved but we are funding we are financing it and we are constructing it in the case of this new india middle east europe corridor all the nations that participate in it are going to be more or less equal stakeholders there will be there will be some inequalities obviously some nations are way uh, larger and uh, have larger economies like india but overall all the nations are going to be stakeholders and no one nation is going to say that uh, this is our project so it's a more uh, inclusive egalitarian thing and it's going to benefit genuinely benefit all these nations so very important new initiative that's been uh, that's just been uh, you know unveiled and, and and i can't wait for it to become a reality so overall very important and a great development all right what else let me see there are lots and lots of questions uh, i'm going to deal mainly with the g20 and and, and geopolitics 
in this session. I can see questions about other things as well. Okay. Kushal says, why is India not openly commenting on Taiwan? Why can't we invite Taiwan as a guest in the T20? Look, how does that benefit us? Uh, Taiwan, uh, sorry, Taiwan. <laughs> China, Taiwan. Look, Taiwan isn't that big of a deal uh, economically. The G20 is overall a trade and economy grouping of nations. A trade and economy grouping of nations. It's all about trade and economy and the economy. It's uh, not about... Uh, some alliance, a military alliance or a geopolitical alliance. And there are nations within the G20 that don't really see eye to eye. I mean, Russia and China don't see eye to eye with the West. India is the only nation that gets along equally well with Russia as well as with the West. And China, nobody essentially gets, gets along with it. Even the Russians don't trust China. The Chinese have recently put out a map in which they, are, they have reopened the Ushnuri border clash, disputed territory issue. And they've claimed Russian territory once again as part of their own. The Chinese, nobody can trust them. So please, I'm, I'm sure there are commenters saying right now that I'm anti-China. Listen, the China are anti-world. The Chinese are anti-world. Um, so that's the deal. So, so since the G20 is uh, trade and economic, uh, fo economy-focused uh, grouping of nations, we don't want to get geopolitical. And, uh, you know, openly commenting on Taiwan. Listen, I, I, I keep saying this, maybe people don't, maybe it doesn't sink in. Words don't matter. Actions matter. So I think India should, uh, instead of commenting about Taiwan and starting a war of words, very harsh criticism, all that, do something. I'm sure we are doing some things. We are doing a few things. I mean, recently, certain Indian ministers did uh, interact with Taiwanese politicians and leaders. And I'm sure we have trade a trade relationship going on. That's how you do things. You don't talk about it. You don't start a war of words. You don't show use muscular language, which is pointless. You actually do things on the ground. So that's the thing. And what's the point of inviting Taiwan as a guest in the G20? What, what, what are we going to gain from it? Yeah. Uh, we have enough issues as it, as it is with China. And uh, yeah, so... There's, there's no point doing that from my perspective. All right, what else do we have? What else do we have? Too many questions? Yes, lots of questions. Um, okay, let's see this. Bhavyadeep Rathod says, The Delhi Declaration got accepted by all the countries. How big of a victory is this for India? It's a huge victory. Listen, last year, uh, for the Bali summit, there was the issue of whether uh, all nations would be able to agree on a joint declaration. And the Russians were adamant that we will not allow any inclusion of the term Ukraine in the final joint declaration, G20 declaration, Bali declaration. And the Chinese were also against uh, using the term Ukraine. Eventually, some kind of consensus was reached and Prime Minister Modi's words that this is not a time for war were used. Those words were used in the Bali declaration. This year, there have been, I think, uh, it's, it's a 37-page document. I have it open somewhere here. I'm not going to open and put it over here. It's a 37-page document. Who has the time to read it? I do, but most of you won't and won't want to do that, I'm sure. So it's a 37-page document. Uh, more than 83, 82 or 83 points. Lots of paragraphs. And the word Ukraine is mentioned four times. Okay, it's mentioned four times. And once again, the same, the same language is used which Prime Minister Modi had said to Mr. Putin that this is not a time for war. And somehow, I mean, this was expected to be a major stumbling point. It was expected that Russia would essentially block any usage of the word Ukraine or any reference to the war in Ukraine. 
in this declaration and it was expected that the chinese would support the russians in this and some i'm not i'm not sure how it happened how it was done but india got all nations including china and russia to agree to the wording the, the language that has been included in this joint declaration the, the word ukraine is mentioned four times and there's also a significant uh, portion on uh, on terrorism which essentially is uh, china throwing pakistan under the, under the bus because the, the one nation whose major export is terrorism is india's temporary <laughs> neighbor pakistan right so it's a huge victory for india i actually expected that this would be a major tumbling point and i was i was thinking if it doesn't happen even then it's going to be a big victory for india because india has held this summit very well and conducted the entire g20 uh, presidency really well so i was of the opinion that even if the joint declaration doesn't happen it's still a huge success for india but this is like it's it's exceeded expectations it's really ex- exceeded expectations and uh, india somehow got every nation all countries including china and russia to accept this joint declaration it's a huge victory for india it it okay sorry about that there are some people who like to talk really loud for no reason when you don't need to anyhow uh, so it's a huge victory for india it's a huge diplomatic victory for india it shows india's leadership it shows india's diplomatic prowess of 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 getting everybody on board including nations that are really not open to doing other things i mean mr shi jinping didn't come he said his number two or here mr king kin or whatever his name is the premier and he was uh, mr shi jinping's representative over here and mr lavrov was mr putin's representative and we got everybody along and got them to agree i think it's a major major victory and this is after the fact that this declaration got accepted which contains so many of india's initiatives it's it's going to be it's going to go down in history as the most successful g20 summit till date till the year 2023 the first g20 summit was held in the year 1999 if my memory serves me right and it was held in berlin and uh, so this is the most likely the 24th summit that's happened and this is going to go down in history as the most successful summit until today so it's a huge victory for india and uh, i would congratulate prime minister modi and uh, uh and the, the chief sherpa mr amitabh kant and mr harshvardhan shringla and uh, dr jay shankar and everybody else who has been involved in this huge victory magnificent performance very well done i mean what else can you ask right all right all right let's see what else we have uh, 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 i saw something yeah here we are xp gamer says what do you think about the african union's addition to the g20 well you know it's 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 high time you know one of the criticisms the g20 has faced is that it's it's uh, a grouping of the rich and powerful right that's one of the major criticisms the g20 has faced and this criticism um, has some truth behind it i mean the largest continent in the world is africa and you're totally sidelining this enormous continent and every nation in it so it's it's uh, they talk about inclusivity and equality and all that but you know they don't practice what they preach so india has this has been india's initiative that we need to bring the african union in and give it the same status as the european union in the g20 so it's now essentially the g21 
and this is india's doing some some commentators will say that india russia china all push for this no 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 <laughs> it's india it's prime minister modi and it's india who insisted that the g20 must include the african union and we made this happen but today morning uh, it was it was officially announced that the african union is now a member of the g20 and prime minister modi um, invited uh, the current uh, leader of the african union to join the other g20 leaders at the table so it's a uh, fait accompli it's done i think it's a great thing so now the g20 would g21 <laughs> would probably have in, account for more than 85% maybe more than 90% of the entire world's gdp with the inclusion of the african union i think it's a very good thing it's great for you know for for the for the betterment of the world it's it's great from the perspective of inclusivity of of taking humanity forward um so yeah i i think it's great and it's going to make india lots of friends it's going to create a lot of goodwill for india in africa so it's not just about so there's 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 that that angle as well that perspective as well that is going to win india lots of friends and for good reason with good reason because india made this happen nobody else was willing to make, make this happen the chinese these days are portraying themselves as some kind of leader of the global south well it is the chinese that have been exploiting africa for resources it is the chinese who have been springing debt traps on extremely poor african nations this is chinese that have been propping up dictators it's the same with the west does in africa but now that they are no longer on track to be becoming a superpower now they want to suddenly become the leader of the global south well it's not going to happen it's india that's that's made this happen it's not china that's made it that made this happen so overall i think it's a very good development and i would like to once again congratulate india the government of india and prime minister modi for making this happen and you got to give credit where credit is due you know who made this happen it's the government of india it's prime minister modi who made this happen it isn't somebody else who made this happen understand that so i am giving credit where credit is actually due all right what else do we have um what else what else what else what else uh let me see some interesting uh, okay mihir says why does uzbekistan and its other ex ussr neighbors why are these nations not part of the g20 well see the original g20 it's not the g21 but the original g20 was um, essentially a group of the top 20 economies that's essentially what it was and for some reason they included the eu which is not a nation but well when you when you when you decide what the rules are you can make any rule and you can you can do whatever you want with it so india then took a leak out of the same playbook it got the african union inserted into the g20 wonderful great great job now why is uzbekistan kazakhstan tajikistan kyrgyzstan and so on so forth not part of the g20 these are tiny economies that's primarily the reason why they're not part of the g20 the tiny economies the very small economies uh, kazakhstan i think kazakhstan is a very large country uzbekistan kazakhstan i think kazakhstan is the largest one uh, let's consult the map we have the map why don't we do that one second give me a second okay let's take a look at the map yes i was completely correct my geography is good still good kazakhstan is the largest of these uh, central asian uh, republics but unfortunately even though it's so large its population is very small rel- relatively speaking and the economy isn't anything 
very large either. So it's primarily because of the small size of these nations' economies that they are not part of the G20. The G20 was essentially a grouping of the top 20 largest economies. And that's the reason why it's not there. Well, eventually you can bring every nation into it, then, then, but then it will become a new United Nations. So you're going to serve, you're going to have a certain objective, agenda, and all that. So that's the reason why it's not there. Ah, this is a good question. Abhishek says, uh, how come China agreed on this joint declaration of the G20 leaders? What changed their stance? I think uh, there is nothing in the language of the declaration that is specifically and explicitly anti-Russia or anti-China. And there is there are four mentions of Ukraine in the declaration, but it, none of the none of the paragraphs, none of the language, none of the none of the words actually point a direct finger at either Russia or China. So the language has been crafted in such a way that you do mention Ukraine, but you don't point an accusatory finger at anyone. You don't blame anybody for starting this or that or whatever. So there's been this very, very intricate tightrope walk, walking act, a balancing act, and India clearly has done this masterfully. And that's why the Chinese had no choice but to agree to the declaration. Uh, I, I'm still a little bit surprised the Chinese were able to, uh, we were able to get the Chinese on board because they have had this very uh, obtuse uh, attitude from the beginning of India's presidency. They've been objecting to all kinds of things. They've been very petty, very vindictive, very cynical. They even objected to the motto of Vasudeva Kutumbakam, saying that uh, they, they justified their, their opposition to this by saying that Sanskrit is not one of the languages that's part of the G20 official languages and something like that. Extremely petty, you know, just annoying behavior. Well, that's China for you. So I don't know how India got, made this happen, but uh, full, I mean, kudos to Dr. Jayashankar and to Prime Minister Modi for even getting the Chinese on board. So great, great success. Great the success, like what you would say. Um, what else? Um, could see us as from Pakistan, Modi. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, what else? Are you tired? <laughs> it's are you tired of this whole day after this whole day? It's been a long day. It's been a long day. I am kind of tired, but hey, you come here, you work. You come here, you do what you're supposed to do. So I really wanted to give you guys a glimpse of how things are and do a live stream from here. I'm not sure if anyone else has taken the initiative of doing a, a proper Q&A live stream from this place. There will be lots of live telecasts, half an hour, one hour, whatever, the various uh, legacy media outlets, the various news, television outlets and all. But yeah, I'm going to do this live stream and show you a glimpse of how things are over here. I think I showed you the whole thing once, roughly. And yeah, so yeah, I'm a little bit tired, but hey, I have way more energy left in reserve. So I'm good. Okay, what else do we have? Uh, Amar Jyoti Biswal says, did the West raise Russia Ukraine war at the summit? I'm sure they must have tried to raise it. And there is some reference to Ukraine, like I said, in the in the joint declaration, the final declaration. But overall, India was able to smooth things over and get things, get everybody to come together. So, uh, if you 
if you have seen the uh, telecast of the various uh, sessions of the summit, the first day of the summit, there, there was no mention of Ukraine. I'm sure there must have been mentions of Ukraine and discussions over Ukraine during the diplomatic negotiations that went into the drafting, that, that were part of the drafting of the joint declaration. It has, I'm sure it came up, it came up. But India was able to get this done. So, great. All right, what else? Um, Saurabh says, why is Bharat not in the G7? Well, you know, it's interesting that the past, the past few G7 summits, India has always been invited to those summits. Uh, I can think of at least the last two summits in which Prime Minister Modi was in, uh, was was one of the invitees, a special invitee, right? Uh, so officially, India is not part of the G7. Well, you know, India should be part of the G5 or the G3, actually, because India is already the fifth largest economy in the world. In 2014, India, I think, was the ninth largest economy in the world. So in nine years, we have reached number five. And by 25, 26, the next two, three years, we're going to surpass uh, Germany and Japan. We're going to be number three. So it makes sense for, for them to invite India whenever the G7 summit is held, even though India is not officially a member of the G7, because India is now way too important to be ignored. Right? Um, so I think uh, it, it used to be the G8 earlier, and Russia was, was a part of this. But then after, I think it was after the Crimea uh, operation, 2014, that uh, they removed Russia from it. Uh, so maybe they can make it the G8 again and, and include India in it. They anyway, invite uh, the Indian Prime Minister every year for the G7 summit. So maybe they, they should reconfigure the G7, make it a G8 again and have India as part of it. Because India is too important now to not be invited to any of these major uh, summits. All right. What else? What souvenir did the organizers give to people who attended the summit? I haven't received any souvenir. I believe there's some package that everybody was given, but I somehow seem to have missed it. But th that's okay. I didn't come here to get a package or something. I came here with a purpose, a specific purpose, and I'm carrying it out. Um, and uh, was I given something? I, yeah, I was given a badge. <laughs> that's gonna be my souvenir. So yeah, that's all. Nothing else. But yeah, I mean, nothing to complain about. I'm very happy. Incredibly good uh, uh, facilities over here. There's nothing that anybody from the media or, or would have to complain about. It's all very well done. Very well done. So, so kudos to the organizers. Very well done. I mean, this is the way to, to hold a summit of this uh, magnitude and consequence. Very well done. Okay. Um, how am I feeling there? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. It's good fun. And overall, it's it's good good to be part of this. So I'm feeling great. Ah, good question, good question. What do you think about India's role in the Saudi Arabia's MBS and uh, Biden handshake? That's an interesting question. Let's let's try and try and uh, bring that one second. I think there I I have an image of that. So give me a second. Let me put that on the screen. Take a look at this. Here we are. 
So this is the uh, handshake that Sebi Carls is referring to. So this happened just a couple of hours or less than a couple of hours ago that uh, Mohammed bin Salman and Joe Biden shook hands and Mr. Modi uh, was the third person in the handshake. He actually brought those two together. And this is kind of significant considering the fact that Joe Biden and his administration have really targeted Mohammed bin Salman over the Jamal Khashoggi incident and other, other stuff as well. And uh, yeah, it's not been a good relationship uh, ever since Joe Biden came to power. And even before that, so the Americans have really gone after Mohammed bin Salman. They have targeted him for being a human's right, human rights abuser and, and, and whatnot. The standard playbook. And uh, as, as a consequence, a whole new geopolitical uh, scenario has opened up in the Middle East with the Saudis trying to distance themselves from the Americans and, and, and trying, they've been trying to, uh, you know, open up new possibilities, new avenues, new geopolitical alliances, new energy alliances from themselves and divest themselves of the millstone that is the U.S. alliance. So considering all that, it's, it's kind of a significant event that uh, Joe Biden and Mohammed bin Salman shook hands at the insistence or, or with the with the uh, facilitation of Prime Minister Modi and Mr. Modi was the third person to hold their hands. So I think it's good. Uh, so it, it, it demonstrates, the entire world knows the history behind these two gentlemen and the history the, and the very uh, fraught history that the U.S. And the, and the Saudis have in the past five or so years. The whole world knows this. And the fact that Mr. Modi was able to get these two guys together and have them shake hands, that, that's, uh, you know, this, this is highly symbolic and it's important. It tells us that India is able to get things done. And, and have it, India is able to make people resolve differences and patch differences up and come together despite differences. So this, this kind of tells you that India's stature and India's uh, importance in the world is genuinely rising. I mean, if, if, uh, <laughs> if it was not Mr. Modi, if it was somebody else from some other country, I don't think that person would have been able to get these two guys together. Uh, especially considering the treatment that Mr. Mohammed bin Salman was given in previous G20 summits. Very poor treatment, very, very cold treatment by the same countries that are now, well, quite warm towards him. So, yeah, I think I think it's great. I think it's great. Uh, what else do we have? The new trade route from India to Europe shows new alignment where Israel is working with two strong Arab nations. So Turkey, China, and Pakistan's response would be what? What should be, we be ready for? Well, look, <laughs> Turkey and Pakistan, look, birds of a feather flock together. Turkey and Pakistan have a lot in common. The Turks, overall, they don't like the Pakistanis. They don't like Indians as well, okay? And that's, that's a, from, that comes from a racist perspective. Racist perspective. But, but keeping that aside, uh, so like I mentioned, like I said some time ago, the India, Middle East, uh, Europe trade corridor is a direct challenge to China's Belt and Road Initiative. It's a direct, uh, direct uh, competitor. It's something that aims to replace that. And with this new trade out, uh, trade, trade corridor opening up, it's going to be an incentive for many nations to choose India's uh, trade corridor rather than China's trade corridor. 
and pakistan has been part of the bri pakistan you have had the china pakistan economic corridor i'm sure you're all aware of that the cpec which is well which is dead what's happening there the chinese invested like i don't know how many billion dollars there what happened show me a single project that's come to fruition so that's dead so what can the chinese and the pakistanis and the turks do well pakistan nobody wants to be wants to have their hands nobody wants to be involved in pakistan i think even mr xi jinping and his minions minions know that pakistan is a temporary nation look i once again i'm not being flippant i'm not making fun of pakistan i i know the people in pakistan who are our blood relatives from from indian's perspective they are facing terrible times but listen what can i say the pakistanis have been bleeding india for the past 70 years so please don't expect me to care too much and to to feel very sorry really sorry i i really feel bad for the people of pakistan but well that's how it's go- that's just the way history works the cycles of history work like that national borders change artificial nations disintegrate pakistan is an artificial nation and pakistan is a is a temporary nation i wonder how long it will last maybe 3 years maybe 5 years maybe 1 year who knows um it seems that like certain parts of pakistani territory are already no longer governed by the by the army right so uh, i don't think pakistan is a nation of much consequence today pakistan what can pakistan respond i mean in what way can pakistan respond to india pakistan is is no longer in the same league i mean it's not even one tenth of the league of india anymore you know that's how far india has has progressed in the past 9 uh, 10 years so in the past the americans would insist on hyphenating india and pakistan india pakistan india pakistan india pakistan well today the entire hyphenation has changed to india china india china nobody talks about pakistan anymore for with good reason india is no longer in the same league as pakistan india is, is way way gone way ahead of that so who cares what pakistan's response is going to be a nation that's hardly standing on one foot what how can it response respond what can turkey do turkey doesn't have the funds to create a, a parallel infrastructure any any infrastructure any trade corridor that can compete with something that india and the us and the europeans can come up with and please remember that the way the turks don't like india and pakistan or india let's say india but the europeans don't like turkey either by the way the europeans aren't fond of turk turkey remember that so my dear turkish friends who may be watching this and who are saying that we hate india or we hate indians for for the for the racist reasons that that many of them give well the europeans see, see you the same way i'm really sorry to say that okay <clears throat> so uh turkey doesn't have the funds or the very withhold to come up with something that can challenge or compete with the india the, the forthcoming india middle east europe trade corridor china has the funds but nobody wants to deal with china italy has pulled out of the bri other nations will also pull out of the bri the bri is anyway half dead what's happening what new infrastructure is being built and where is it being built nowhere okay so there's all kinds of propaganda on social media there are lots of propagandists um china and russia have this some sort of a modus vivendi they are working together to some extent but the russians obviously with good reason don't trust china so i don't think china see if you if you are a bully if you are a bully and if you are very poorly behaved nobody will work with you no matter how rich you are that ha- that applies to nations that applies to individuals as well you know you got to have some manners <laughs> you got to have some respect for others 
and that only that can only happen if it if it is genuinely something that you are so china is by at least the chinese communist party look the chinese people are nice i i think most chinese people are really nice people then we've had 2000 years of good relations with china it's only after the goddamn communist party chinese communist party invaded and annexed tibet with mr nehru's approval the great magnificent mr nehru that's where things went wrong between india and china it's the chinese aggression that caused all the friction so the chinese communist party the chinese communist party sees itself as some kind of new imperial dynasty and they seek to rule the world and they're very transparent about it they're very crass very transparent very pushy very they're real bullies and nobody likes that so even though china right now has the money i don't think they're going to be able to get a lot of nations on board so if nations like india and the uh, the uh, uae saudi arabia and the various european nations and the us come together and offer a really good alternative to china's bri i think lots of nations will jump at it and i think that's the beginning that's what we are seeing we are seeing the beginning of that so i don't think there's going to be any real response worth noting that's going to come from turkey and pakistan and china may try something and they may you know issue some harsh strong statements who cares keep talking words it's all talk okay krishna agarwal says what are your views on xi jinping's absence in the g20 and his health problem thing i don't know about his health problems he's had a history of health problems or alleged health problems when he became the chinese premier or the, the chinese supreme darth vader <laughs> which year was it 2012 i think he went on a few months of vacation before he even assumed the the the, the leadership of china to to deal with some health issue so i don't know what that is he 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 seems to have an apparent history of of certain health problems but there's no transparency transparency on that i don't think he has chosen to skip the summit for any health issue i think it's a defensive move i think he also knows that nobody at the g20 high table really likes him he also knows that he has this major issue major problem that he has created with india huge friction all because of chinese aggression the deaths that happened in galwan on both sides were because of chinese aggression the chinese are solely responsible for that and all the border disputes there with various nations including russia who's created those issues the chinese have created that and they have this terribly uh, this increasingly tense relationship with the us the us has essentially imposed various kinds of sanctions on the chinese when it comes to semiconductors and so on and so forth uh so there's this very tense relationship with the us it's not a good relationship it's it's a it's a rough relationship uh and if we and nations like 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 uh france and germany and italy they're going to be on the us side right um so essentially there is no warmth for mr xi jinping at the g20 high table mr putin is absent and mr putin also doesn't trust mr xi jinping and mr modi and xi jinping mr xi jinping don't have a good relationship entirely because of the actions of mr xi jinping mm-hmm. uh mr modi and xi jinping met briefly very briefly in bali in last year's g20 summit they also met very briefly in in south africa during the recent brics summit but that's about it very brief interactions and not very friendly 
interactions for good reason so xi jinping one of the reasons he did not come is because he expected and rightfully so a cold not very uh, warm welcome in new delhi not only from his host mr narendra modi but also from the other world leaders nobody would have any warmth for him so they would not ignore him the way they once ignored mohammed bin salman but there there won't be any special warm welcome for him the other reason is that the chinese are kind of jealous of the way the indians have conducted the g20 presidency india has taken it to to a whole different level more than 60 cities more than 130 events across the length and the breadth of the country including in in jammu and kashmir including in arunachal pradesh and india has shown off its incredibly vibrant diverse culture the incredible energy of its youth it's it's increasingly uh, sophisticated and and powerful technological capabilities infrastructure so much india has done what nobody else has done that this one years presidency this one year term of uh, of the g20 presidency and at the end um, it was going to be a successful summit even if all the leaders did not uh, agree upon a joint declaration well now we we even have that so it's the icing on the cake so the chinese are kind of jealous not kind of but actually jealous of what india has achieved during this one year india took initiative that nobody else took and india has been positioning itself as the leader of the global south india has ensured single handedly that the african union is not now part of the g20 the g21 the chinese have never pushed for that so because india did such a good job the chinese are jealous and maybe mr xi jinping thought that if he doesn't come he's going to take some sheen away from the g20 summit well haha mr xi jinping a very petty cynical move a very negative and defensive move but it's come to nothing it's come to nothing and what it the message it has sent the world is that china is not a serious and responsible nation the, the g20 is about solving problems it's about it's about taking the world forward in in a in, in a right in a good direction it's about dealing with big issues like climate with the energy crisis with with uh, fuel and fertilizers and stuff like that and china doesn't want to be part that's the message it, it it gives to the world china wants to be part of the brics where it's the biggest thing around it doesn't want to be part of the g20 it doesn't want to participate it the mr xi jinping will send a minion is number 2 so it sends a very uh, negative message to the world about china that china is not a responsible power and china is not serious about any responsibilities that it claims to have taken on So overall, it's a very negative move. It's a very cynical move. It's a defensive move. It's a petty, jealous move. They even uh, they even objected to the term Vasudeva Kutumbakam. I mean, how much more petty can you get? So I think you know, <laughs> Mr. Xi Jinping has done the world a favor by not coming. Who wants his his presence over here? Who wants his shadow in New Delhi? It's a good thing. He did the world and India a favor by not turning up. his number 2 was mostly invisible just a king qing and the summit went off really well it would have been a kind of a burden to have him over here so mr xi jinping thank you very much for not coming i don't think you have any health issue 
you were just petty and jealous and even by not turning up you ended up failing because the summit went off really well the most successful g20 summit in history there you go okay lol what else khane mein kya mila all vegetarian food really nice food all vegetarian <laughs> okay what else okay we already de- uh, dealt with africa okay uh is there anything was anything mentioned about niger in the meeting while none of, i mean i i saw all the official live telecasts the broadcasts uh and there was no mention of niger anything niger is is not the the g20 grouping of nations is not a geopolitical grouping of nations the what's on the agenda is trade and and development and the economy and certain other issues geopolitics is off the table what's happening is in niger is a geopolitical issue it's about the people of niger and and the coup leaders who have popular support it's about them rising up against european or more specifically french neo colonialism that's what this coup is about and there's no point discussing that in this meeting it's it's the meeting is not for that purpose it's not a, it doesn't have any kind of geopolitical agenda so there was no mention as far as i know of niger in the meeting bobby says don't you think you should have both names one to address yourself internally in endonym and the other one in exonym which is how others address you bharat versus india look i am perfectly well uh, happy with uh, with uh, the country having two names two official names india and bharat so whoever within the country wants to refer to nation as bharat shall do that and the rest of the world can uh, do what they're more comfortable with and more accustomed to which is calling the country india now other nations have also recently there are certain other nations that have recently renamed themselves for example turkey has called has renamed itself or rebranded itself as turkiye turkiye uh, there is a czech republic which is now czechia uh, what else do we have yeah two i can think of the skanske which became is no 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 swaziland which became iswatini and so on so some nations have done that and well how many people call turkey turkiye today and how many people call the czech republic czechia so you know all right it doesn't matter i don't care what what others want to call us i don't really care let them say whatever they want to do um so i think it's not a bad idea to have two names and so i agree with bobby here let's have two names bharat and india uh there there's a certain amount of brand value also attached to the term india i mean are you going to call the indian ocean the bharatiya ocean now uh i don't i mean i have nothing against that i mean i call the south china sea the champa sea right but that's a process that that will take time brands do change over time for example twitter is now x it's it's people still call it twitter but in a couple of years they're going to call it x i'm sure so these things happen so i think it's it's a it should be a more natural organic process in which people see i mean there are cities like mumbai that mumbai used to be called bombay some people still say bombay but most people now say mumbai chennai used to be madras 
some I, i'm not sure if people still say madras everyone says chennai as far as i know so in some cases it takes longer in some cases in some cases it's it's faster i think overall let let there be two official names and you can have a slow gradual organic and natural transition to the actual civilization name which can take maybe 20 years maybe 50 years maybe 100 years i don't care so right now i think it it makes sense to have two official names but yeah I, i'll be very happy if more people call the nation bharat right what other questions do we have why can't do india do salami slicing with pakistan you can slice salami which has a certain consistency but you can't slice cookies c o o k i e s cookies you know cookies crumble you try to try to slice it then it crumbles so pakistan is kind of in 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 that sort of situation right now you try to slice it slice it it's going to crumble i think pakistan sadly is for, for them is just a matter of time it's going to crumble so uh, yeah let it happen on its own why why do salami slicing or anything um okay what else okay samarth gandhi says what's the global biofuel alliance that's been launched recently many are bet- betting on biofuel there are companies working on producing biofuel using marine uh, using marine algae and seaweeds in bharat as well so this global biofuel alliance that was launched recently or today i'm not sure very recently by prime minister modi is a new initiative that uh, that calls upon nations to use a 20% ethanol blending in in petrol gasoline the us the americans called it gasoline we call it petrol so right now i think india blends about 10% ethanol what is ethanol ethanol is ethyl alcohol uh, what's the chemical formula it's kind of rusty i was good at organic chemistry but what is it okay it's ethanol it's 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 grain alcohol it is a synthetic chemical which is also something that occurs naturally through fermentation it's a recreational drug it's part of every single thing that people drink you know beer rum whiskey whatever that's what it is <clears throat> now if you take pure alcohol and you mix it with petrol it works very well and it, uh, so uh, india like i said uses 10% blending so 90% petrol and 10% ethanol i think there are several european nations that also do this 90% petrol 10% ethanol and that kind of reduces the amount of carbon emissions that are emitted uh the amount of carbon monoxide that's given off by the burning of the, of, of this fuel and also the amount of hydrocarbons that are, that are emitted as 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 the as part of the exhaust of the vehicles now if you increase that blending to 20% the carbon monoxide emissions and the hydrocarbon emissions are reduced even further so the global biofuel alliance is about urging nations to adopt a 20% blending standard so that's india's initiative just like the global solar alliance and i think india is going to take uh, uh, steps to ensure that it starts blending uh, ethanol up to 20% so ethanol is produced by uh, fermenting uh, sugarcane and sugar and molasses and other agricultural waste products it can also be made by by fermenting uh, spoiled grains 
like wheat and rice and whatnot. If your grain gets spoiled, you can take it and ferment it and, and produce ethanol out of it. And like Samad is saying, you can even do that using marine algae and seaweeds. I'm sure there are processes for doing that as well. So, so that's what this Global Biofuel Alliance is. It's about, um, it's about blending ethanol to 20% in, in petrol. And as a consequence, uh, you know, having less emissions, less carbon emissions, and reducing the burden on the planet. That's what it's about. And it's an Indian initiative. Karthik Kumar says Indian Ocean is already called Hind Mahasagar. On which map? If you have a map printed in Hindi, it may be called Hind Mahasagar. But globally, in, in maps of the world, whenever you have non-Indian languages, it's called the Indian Ocean. So yeah, we have lots of names. We can also call it Bharatiya Samudra or whatever. Okay, so that's all right. But even the word Hind is an exonym. It comes from the word Tindu, the name of a great river which still exists. And the Persians, our ancient cousins, could not pronounce Sa. They had lost the ability to pronounce Sa. So they replaced that with Ha. And that's how Sindhu became Hindu and which gave rise to the name Hind and so on. So even the word Hind is an exonym. Alright, let's understand that. So the correct word is Bharat. But it will take some time for that to be adopted. Alright, what else do we have? Hum, 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 hum. Sabana says, should China be kicked out from the G20? I don't think that will happen. China is way too powerful, way too important to be ignored to that extent. Uh, when it comes to Russia, Russia is, I think, the ninth or the tenth largest economy in the world. So you can kind of uh, do that. And obviously, there are other issues with Russia as well. So I don't think that China will be kicked out from the G20. I don't think there's any move to, to, to do that. I don't think there are any calls to do that. Um, and I don't think it's necessary or even desirable to kick China out of the G20. What do you achieve by doing that? What do you achieve? I mean, is there any tangible ben beneficial outcome for anybody by kicking out China? They will still do what they're doing. It's just being like spiteful and petty, but it achieves nothing, you know. <laughs> that, that's the thing. Ah, yeah. So so that's the deal, right? So I don't think that's going to happen or even if it's really desirable. Uh, so Hansrad says it's C2H5OH. CH4OH is methyl alcohol and C2H5OH is ethyl alcohol. Yeah, good. Thank you. I I hope you're right. I think it sounds about right. It's been a long time since I looked into organic chemistry, but yeah, I think you're right about this. So so thank you, sir. Thank you. Okay. Sa Samana Satish, I, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. Uh, are there discussions about electric, electric vehicles? I heard that India wants to reach its use of EVs target by 2032. Um, what target does India have? 30% EVs? 10% EVs? I'm not sure what it is. Um, so I am not aware of any, any discussions about electric vehicles in, in, this, uh, in today's uh, sessions of the G20 summit. Um, so I don't think they were discussed. I will have to look at uh, look at the joint declaration to see if there is any mention of electric vehicles. But uh, I don't remember hearing about that today. Uh, so yeah, as far as I know, there wasn't. This wasn't discussed. But uh, I'll double check. 
I'm going to have to read the entire 37-page 30, declaration to make sure that it wasn't there. So let's see. Um, yeah, India India is taking the lead when it comes to uh, green technologies, renewable technology, renewable energy. Uh, and uh, yes, I think India is India is targeting 10% or 30% electric vehicle penetration by 20 by 2030, 2032, thereabouts. Um, so yeah, I think India is taking the lead in these things, and it's a, it's a very good initiative. It shows that India is very is way more responsible than China is, for example. You know, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. What else? Can the G20 give India any economic growth opportunity? That's what Shantanuja asks. So we just discussed. I I. I Cracked out the map, didn't we? Didn't I? So we discussed the uh, India, Middle East, Europe trade corridor, which is going to involve rail links and shipping links as well. It's going to have a an electrical uh, connection, electrical power cable. It's going to have a hydrogen pipeline. It's going to have a high-speed data cable. That's going to open up lots of economic growth opportunities, trade opportunities. So the G20 is all about trade and the economy. It's about nations coming together, talking about trade and economy, and furthering their interests in a, in, in a variety of mutually beneficial ways. So it's all about economic growth opportunities. That's the entire, that's the whole point of the G20. The G20 is not about geopolitics. It's about economics. It's about trade. It's about finance. That's what it's about. So yes, of course, it will, it's, it's uh, this thing that I just mentioned, the uh, India, Middle East, Europe, Corridor, the trade corridor, the trade uh, thing, that itself is going to open up lots of e economic growth opportunities. So yes, the answer is yes. Okay. Sri Kumar Menon says, not sure why India's Indians are getting excited, so excited about Vivek Ramaswamy running for U.S. elections. Take a look at Rishi Sunak. Any benefit for India? So look, any U.S. citizen of whatever origin is going to prioritize their national interest over everything else. That has to be understood. Indians, I'm not talking, today Dr. Subhash Kak put out a tweet that Indians are a very emotional people. It's something I have personally said many times on, on this channel. Indians are a very emotional people. Everything is about emotions. And Indians, many Indians don't think rationally. Oh, yeah, he's our guy. The skin color is similar to mine. Yeah, good. What? What what tangible benefit does it bring you? You have what's his name? Uh, Sundar Sundar Pichai, who's the boss of Alphabet, Google. You have Sacha Nadella, the boss of Microsoft. I mean, what benefit have they given to India? Do you see Google Maps? And do you see the the boundaries are uh, until recently represented and do you see if you if you click on shall I demonstrate that let's do it let's demonstrate okay, okay let's, that's beside the point it's, it's going to waste unnecessary time the point is these people are u.s citizens and they're going to prioritize the well-being and the welfare and the interests of the u.s this is what some, something that every indian has to understand indians get so excited and so emotional about things so easily so you know what? It's nice to have Vivek Ramaswamy. He's gonna bring more visibility to Indians, to to Indian Americans, and to India overall. But it's not gonna benefit India. 
Okay, he's going to prioritize his national interest. Look at his, look at his statements. Look at everything they're saying. Look at his foreign policy that he's putting out. It's all about the U.S. Uh, and I would not compare uh, Ramaswamy with Rishi Sunak. Rishi Sunak is more of an appointee than an electee. Um, and once again, what's the benefit for India? So yes, I agree with Sri Kumar. It's a very valid point. Um, Spartan Bagua says. Did Putin ever want Russia to join NATO in the past? Uh, when Putin was a newly minted, fresh, fresh president of Russia, he actually wanted Russia to join Ukraine. Well, today he has learned a lot of lessons and he is no longer that that naive. <laughs> so yes, he did want to join NATO and the NATO, well, the Americans just laughed it off, laughed at him. Who the, who the hell do you think you are joining NATO? Ha ha ha. That sort of thing. So yes, once he was naive, he was... Uh, more idealistic, perhaps. And uh, yeah, so he learned his lesson. He did want to join. He did want Russia to join NATO. Well, that's never going to happen. Okay. <laughs> Pritesh says, could the state of Texas gain independence? Ah, well, you never know. There, there's been a sporadic Texas independence movement. The Lone Star State. Uh Someday it may happen because, well, you see, the U.S. is occupied territory. The U.S. is is a nation that's created as a result of settler colonialism. And the ones who wanted Texas to secede were themselves uh, settlers. But yeah, so in the immediate future, in the near future, I don't see any such thing happening. But in the distant future, it may happen. Um... Om Bekirikar says, can India soon become a permanent member of the UNFC? Soon? No, I don't think so. By 2030? Maybe. Who knows? But there's a huge amount of resistance right now from essentially from the Chinese. Uh, they don't want India to have the same uh, status and the same uh, powers as them in the United Nations Security Council. And, the, and even the other nations are very reluctant to see this happen. I mean, the UN Security Council, the, the composition of the UN Security Council is, is something that was decided in 1945, roughly in 1945. The victors of the Second World War were given those privileges. And that's a time that's like almost a century ago now. And we're still living by that. It's like the Indian Constitution, which was drafted by who knows what people and who knows when. You know, things need to change. So, um, I don't think it will happen soon, but eventually, no one can stop India. We're going to be there. We're going to be everywhere. We kind of already are everywhere, aren't we? I mean, you go to Niagara Falls, and you'll feel like Niagara Falls is in India, and some foreigners are there just to, to see it, but most of us are Indians around here. <laughs> so we are anyway everywhere, but we're going to soon matter a lot more. Okay, let's take a few more questions. A few more questions. Um, okay, what is this? Om Kulkarni, are there any expectations on space technology collabs from tomorrow's session? I'm not sure if space is going to be on the table or on the agenda. Uh, when it comes to space technology collaborations, ISRO does collaborate with various space agencies. Uh, the, the current Chandrayaan-3 mission, the, the the lander, I believe it it, uh, it has an instrument, a retro reflector that's been um, 
given to them by by NASA. It's a passive instrument. It's something you bounce laser beams off of to measure the precise distance between Earth, the Earth, and the Moon. So there's some collaboration with NASA. Uh, India has in the past, ISRO has in the past collaborated with uh, Roscosmos, the Russian, uh, the Russian space agency. Not a very fruitful collaboration, but. And, and there's some collaboration with, with Japan as well. So I think we do that. But I don't think it's something that's going to be on the G20 agenda. Of course, I could be wrong and something would happen tomorrow. And if it does, I will report about it. I'll talk about it. But as far as I know, I don't think it's on the agenda. But I'll see tomorrow. Right. Debajot Gope says, How do you look at the US as a military powerhouse compared to Russia and China? Um, when it comes to Russia and the US, Russia has a larger nuclear arsenal. So Russia is, is frightfully dangerous and frightfully scary from that perspective, from the size of the nuclear arsenal. Um, when it comes to conventional weapons, nobody can beat the US. And the US has the ability to intervene militarily anywhere in the world at 30 to 60 minutes notice. No other country comes even close to that. So you can't even compare Russia and China with the US when it comes to that ability. So I am very clear about this. There's only one superpower in the world, which is the US. We no longer live in a multipolar, in a, in a unipolar world like we were living in between 1991 and 2016, 2017. We are now entering an era of multipolarity, but there's still only one superpower. It's the US. Uh, Russia is not a superpower, but Russia is a major nuclear power. The Chinese are more of an economic powerhouse, not quite a military it, it, they do they do have a powerful military, but they still can't even take Taiwan. You know, the US is more powerful across the Taiwan Strait, right? In China's back door, backyard. That's how powerful the US is. So you can't really compare China with the US. Yeah. Okay. Uh, some questions are being repeated, which is okay. Some people may have joined late. So in that case, they can rewind once this is done. Uh, what else do we have? What do you choose, Bharat or India? I choose, look, I think uh, from a non-emotional, from a practical perspective, I, I would say we, we should keep both. But from a deep emotional, civilizational, cultural perspective, it obviously has to be Bharat. But um, I think we need to be practical. I think we should keep both for now, for now. I think it may be a little too early to completely give up the term India. I think right now we should keep both. But eventually in the long run, we should revert to the official name of Bharat. Okay. Ah, this is a good question. Drumil says, do you think Bharat is finally leaning more towards the West? Look, India, Bharat is the only nation that is, has excellent relations with both Russia and the West. And Bharat will do whatever is in its interests, in its best interests. Now, take this very simple scenario. We have this large neighbor, an aggressive imperialist expansionist neighbor, China. China. Now, let's say China and India go to war, which should be started by China. India is not going to start any war. The Chinese will if they do. In case there's a war, in case the Chinese start a war with India, who is likely to help India materially, not verbally, 
we don't care about words materially is it is russia in a position to help india versus china if a war happens the russians will stay neutral they'll stay out of it they are not strong enough to intervene the americans will certainly be more likely to intervene and help india materially in a variety of ways likely not guaranteed they'll be likely to do it but i'm i we, you can't guarantee that either but the likelihood is way higher with the us compared to russia so it makes sense to have good relations with the west because there is a convergence of interests so yeah if you if you look at it from that perspective it may look like india's leaning more towards the west will india will do whatever is in its best interests if the west is giving india what it needs from the perspective of technology from the perspective of trade from the perspective of diplomatic support geopolitical support why should we not lean a little bit more in that side what is russia offering to us of course we are not cutting off our ties with russia we still have good relations with the, with the russians mr modi and mr putin still have a excellent relationship so india russia relations aren't deteriorating there's no deterioration but india's outreach with the west is kind of stronger these days well why not so it just makes sense from the logic of strategy from a geopolitical perspective um, okay <laughs> okay uh hemant says why are you still there what time is it in india it's 10:30 in the night 10:30 in the pm it's kind of late to be here isn't it i should be back at the hotel um <laughs> i just thought i'll do this it's been such a long time since since i did a live stream and just give you guys give you all guys and girls and others <laughs> a look at how things are over here so i just thought i'd do it and and they have provided extremely good internet over here the wired internet the, the lan cable extremely fast like like almost a gb 1 gbps nearly you know so i thought let's take advantage of that and do a good live stream and reconnect it's been a while since we did that so uh um, i i agree it's it's very late i should get back to the hotel uh delhi is kind of under lockdown right now uh it's it's hard to get a taxi i'm sure they will offer me a shuttle bus but i'm not sure it will take me to the hotel it will take me somewhere else and i don't want to be somewhere else so i'll have to get myself a taxi so i think i'll take a few more questions and then wrap this up but yeah so yes <laughs> i i shouldn't be here too longer this place this international media center is going to be open all night so if i choose to i can stay here all night and be here till tomorrow morning also obviously that will not be very good for my health <laughs> you don't you don't need a few hours of sleep so i think i'll i'll choose caution over valor and i will go back to the hotel soon and sleep uh before i do that let me take uh, maybe two three more questions um uh somijit uh, somijit says somijit what's the future of the arctic as the ice melts who will control this valuable region well if you look at the map where is the map here's the map you got to see the map for this what is the map here's the map so if you take a look at the arctic region not the antarctic you will see that russia is a, has a huge presence there you will see that canada and the us have a presence there the russians sold alaska to the americans so the americans have a presence there and i once uh, had a question from somebody from these uh, from from diamedia island i think the little one 
uh, which is in the arctic region anyway that that's a completely it's a complete digression so russia has a huge presence there the americans have a presence the, the canadians have a presence the danes of denmark have a presence norway has a presence and so does finland so these nations have a presence there now if you look at these nations there's only two real big powers there the americans and the russians so and the chinese are also interested in the arctic region uh and with russia's consent they may also you know establish some kind of presence there especially if it helps russia uh, monetarily financially economically geopolitically so i think as the ice melts the americans and the russians would have the major stake in the arctic region the chinese may, may buy their way into it so that's how it is uh, i don't think india has any major plans right now for that but we'll see we'll see so mainly the us and russia russia okay priyanshu says hi abhijit hi priyanshu okay what else uh, bobby says well if china china is so called near arctic so is india well if china is <laughs> so is india yeah makes sense what he's saying but you got to build the 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 economic heft and you got to build a few ice breakers because it's it's still going to be ice bound in the winters you know um, i'm okay what else do we have um um um, um... <laughs> oh yeah nobody mentioned mr trudeau justin trudeau how is trudeau meltdown coming um i did see him somewhere in the mix but i don't think he has much of a presence today um so yeah i don't know if any meltdown is coming but i did see his face briefly who met him it was i think it was rajiv chandrashekar minister who i met recently who went to receive uh, just justin trudeau at the airport but i don't think he's been really very active or very 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 uh, visible this time okay <laughs> uh all this mlbb thank you sir appreciate it um <clears throat> what have you been dreaming lately on the arctic i think i think india should be making a presence in antarctica you're closer than just about anyone even though it's halfway around the world you know argentina and chile have a have a very uh, significant proximity to antarctica so does australia so does new zealand um and even the french have certain islands in the region close to antarctica even british do so yeah it's it's a, it's another interesting mix that we have when it comes to antarctica but for india it's a straight line straight straight road to antarctica you just if you are let's say you are in, in standing on the beaches of saurashtra you just take a ship and go straight south you know reach antarctica nothing's going to come in the way so i think india should dream bigger india should dream bigger in many fields many domains india should think about the arctic india should think about the antarctic india should think about landing two or three indians on the moon by 2035 on chandrayaan 10 we need to dream big and i hope we are doing that okay let me take one more question sir is your health good you looking energetic my health is great no issue thank you so much <laughs> um 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 
Giuseppe Di Fraia, congrats on G20. Looking to get into a relationship with a woman. <laughs> who, who should please be in charge of the relationship and wouldn't be okay with a future wife? Works a job the same as me. Uh, listen, it depends on each person. Every, every case is unique. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I am a geopolitical analyst. I am not really somebody who is qualified to advise about relationships. I mean, maybe I am, but uh, uh, that's something I don't do. I, I don't mean it should work out for you, you know, the right person. And uh, then it depends on what works for both of you. I guess that's it. Uh, there are no hard and fast rules. Each case is unique. Each individual is, is unique. You know, people come to me I mean, in airports and all, you know, young kids. They come and ask me, what should I do? Uh, I'm I'm in engineering. My dad wants to wants me to go abroad, but I want to join the IAS. What should I do? I tell them I don't know you personally, so I don't know. Each person is unique. You should maximize your potential. You should do something that maximizes your potential. And uh, you know, if you really want to serve the nation, first serve yourself. First be something, somebody of consequence, and then then you can serve the nation. So. You know, that's the thing. You can't give hard and fast advice, which is like one size fits all. Each person is unique. So, Giuseppe Nifaya, I don't know you personally, so I can't tell you, you know, what will work for you. But, uh, yeah, so each case is unique. And overall, I, I, I don't see anything wrong with uh, with uh, your partner, your, your wife working. But, yeah, it's up to you and her, I guess. Okay, let's take one more question. Um... Oh, one more question. One more question. One more question. Uh, what should I take? Okay, let's just take this one. All this MLBB says, do you, do you think more people need to be educated on the fact that Mughals were defeated by Marathas? I think this should be taught in textbooks. You, you look at the, the 1757 or whichever year it was map of India. Color color coded map of India, you will see there are no Mughals anywhere. The Marathas have taken over everything. The Marathas had established Hinduvi Swaraj in the 18th century, and it is the British who defeated the Marathas, not the Mughals. So there are lots of well educated people who come and claim that the British saved India from the Mughals. Those people are absolute, I don't know what, what term to use. I, I can think of a few terms, but I will not utter those words here. The language of Mordor. So, you know. That's the problem with lots of Indians. They, they think they, they know everything. And uh, they unfortunately seem to be not aware of basic historical facts. So yes, I agree that everybody in India needs to be educated about the fact that the Mughals were destroyed, that they were defeated by the, by, by the Marathas, who wiped them out almost entirely. The Mughal emperor was, was reduced to being the mayor of not just Delhi, not, only, not even Delhi, but only of the, the Red Fort. That's it. And the Maratha Empire stretched all the way to southern Afghanistan. So, yeah, uh, people do need to be educated about it. All right, I think with that, I'm going to wrap up this session. It's not quite a two-hour session, but it's already over 90 minutes. So, a decent, uh, respectable length. So, um, so thank you, everybody, for attending this. I really appreciate it. And I'm, it's, it's glad to do this again. It's really nice to do this again. And I'm going to revert back to doing this more often, the Ask or Bidget show. So thank you everyone for attending, for watching, for all your questions. Apologies to those of you 
those questions I could not take, which is most of you, unfortunately. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much, and uh, I will see you hopefully very soon in the next Ask Abhijit episode. Until then, take care and keep raising, keep raising your standards. Bye.